Welcome, this is the Teaching Excellence Podcast for all things FE, teaching, learning, assessment, quality and possibly a few other things along the way. Hosted by Steph Wilkinson and Jade Gibson, leaders in FE who want to support others and make a difference and hopefully spread a little happiness whilst we're at it. network um, that I've been part of very recently so I had a crazy idea that while I was here at the event I would interview some people and um, we're experimenting as we go along with some new equipment but the first person that's come to join me is Dan Marie so hi Dan hello how are you I'm good thank (laughs) you how are you good good thank you no um, I'm so grateful for you to say you'll do it we're kind of figuring it out as we go along. Um, I've just been explaining to Dan, for those who usually listen to the podcast, know that Jade and I have very informal, flowing conversations and we just record it. We don't really edit it, but that's been really positive. People have received it really well. So we're going, Dan's not used to that. Not at all. (laughs) Most of my conversations are bumbling messes, digress, uh, but we'll see where we go. Yeah, so I have reassured Dan that this is kind of how I usually Oh, so start with where I'm, so start yeah, with a bit about me yeah, do without being self-indulging or anything. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so um, I'm a lecturer in initial teacher education at the University of Derby. I've been there for three years. Prior to that, I worked across three FE colleges in total mm-hmm. uh, in my career. Uh, started out as a sports lecturer, okay, um, and then quickly moved into sort of quality improvement type mm-hmm. roles like advanced practitioner, teacher and learning coach, mm-hmm. and then into teacher training. Um, one of my other roles which sort of ties in with today's event is I sit on the board of the Education and Training Foundation as a practitioner perspective. So um, I take an active interest in things that are going on on the ground with with regards to the Education and Training Foundation. So Mm -hmm. it's great to be here. Thank you for uh, giving me a chance to be a bumbling mess. (laughs) um, Yeah, perhaps I'll start by sort of going back in time to where I had a sort of a light bulb moment, if you like, with my teaching. And um, I suppose it was a few years into my teaching, around 2011. And um, I used to think I was a great teacher. I used to think I really was a good teacher. And, and I, I kind of got that reassurance from all of my colleagues who were like, wow, you're so innovative, Dan. You're doing all these crazy things in the classroom. And perhaps it was when I came across a book by Dan Willingham Let's get the name right, Willingham. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a cognitive psychologist oh, yeah. in America, yeah. and his book was called "Why Students Don't Like School." And I thought, oh, that's a, that's a fascinating title. I want to find out more about that, and so I started reading that. And because obviously in FE we deal with, though it's not school, we deal with students that quite often don't like to be there and yeah. disengage very quickly. So 
I, I was intrigued by that and realized at that time I've perhaps been doing it all wrong I've perhaps been doing my learners really? a disservice by being this funky teacher with all the fun <laughs> and games and um, I'll talk more about the, the I'll give you some examples later but yeah, um, yeah uh, so I read this book and yeah. uh, I think it, I, I'd like to share some thoughts from the book yeah, sure. and then what that might mean for classroom practice now and, and how I took that away and, and, and developed my own teaching. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that'd be really useful because people, one of the things that's cropping up a lot is, um, you know, I, I work with all the curriculum events across college and um, people who are really engaged in teaching learning development, but the one thing that often crops up is about student engagement. Mm. So, yeah, I'd be really interested to hear about the book. Yeah, of course. And, and, and if, uh, you know, in the past, we've, we've been dri driven by Ofsted, of course, with their, their coming in to give you a grade on your lesson. So you, you pull all the whistles and bells out and you give them that one-off hit, that <laughs> wonderful lesson. But actually, the, the longer-term impact of that is, isn't perhaps as, as good as if you, you gave them a good, solid lesson. Yeah. And, um, and, and, over, and, and did that consistently over time. And that's what we're seeing with the new inspection framework. They're looking at, at the bigger picture, yeah. Um, but still, we've got to think about engaging our learners, of yeah. course. So um, Willingham sort of, in his, in his book, suggests that our brains aren't designed for thinking. Okay. okay. Quite, quite an odd, odd yes, thought. Yes, I like thinking. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's actually designed to... to to cut corners to save you from thinking too much about okay. things so you might have come across the term heuristics uh, but we, we we try and um, often think fast try and get to the get to what we the answer we want yeah. quickly um, and we struggle to think hard about things so I'm going to throw you a question okay. so this uh -huh. is from um, Daniel Daniel came another Daniel gosh just full of them um, Daniel Kamen's book uh, thinking fast and thinking slow yes. have you read that and um, I started it on my work year book actually but never finished okay it. so I'm hoping you've not come across this example here. so what? he says that when we when off, when we're uh, learning we often think fast so it's quite and it's quite an irrational uh, way of thinking okay um, but we should be thinking slow and more rational yeah. about things in order to you know, process the information and mm -hmm. learn so uh, here's a, here's an example he uses about thinking fast and thinking slow so a baton ball mm -hmm. together costs one pound ten Okay, the bat is one pound more than the ball. Okay. How much is the ball? And that was your irrational thinking there. Okay. So now have a think about that question. So the bat and ball cost one pound ten. Yeah. The bat is one pound more than the ball. So if the ball costs ten p, how much would the bat be? Oh, like one pound ten. One pound. No. One pound. Twenty. No, I don't. Yeah, so the bat would be one pound ten. So in yeah, turn, yeah, it would be yeah, one yeah. pound twenty. Yes, so yeah, so the, the, yeah, if it was t if it was pound more, it'd be one pound ten, which is totally one pound ten. Yeah, get it. So what is the answer then? <laughs> you have to stop now. <laughs> Damn. Um, so the answer, if the ball, if the bat is one pound more. Don't, I'm, I'm, I'll help you out. happens is we automatically our brain tries to cut yeah. corners and, yeah. and you know think we've come across this yeah. it's pound of course yeah I knew there was a trick answer but I couldn't think past the trick yeah <laughs> and and that's quite often the case with learning we, we try and cut corners yeah. so um yeah people 
enjoy mental work if they have success in it, mm-hmm. but they very quickly switch off if they don't have the success or if it's too hard, too hard a challenge. And we need to sort of, I, I'm not, I can never pronounce the name, but if you come across, uh, I'm going to try, Cheeks and uh, Mihaly. Yeah. yeah. Love uh, that. And this concept Love of flow. That. So yeah. we've got, obviously, if a challenge is too high, the yeah. skill level is low, yeah. the learners become anxious. Yeah. If, it's, if the skill level is high and the challenge is low, they become yeah. bored. So we've got to obviously try and find that mm-hmm. um, gap. Let me just go back to Dan Williams. Mm-hmm. Willingham. I told you I'd digress quite quickly. I'm terrible. I'm terrible for it. Wrong. And you're probably like, what is he on about? When you, I, I have no idea. He just he talked a load of waffle, but it sounded good at the time. Um, okay, so Willingham uses a simple model of the mind, and you, you've probably come across it, the working memory model. We've yeah. got um, the environment, so all of our senses, mm-hmm. sensory experiences, the working memory, which is our sort of conscious thinking, the here and now, and then the long-term memory, which yeah. is our sort of library of ideas and, yeah. and patterns of knowledge that mm-hmm. we've had. So when we think about trying to get that concept of flow, mm-hmm. we need to really try and work hard to figure out what our learners already know because yeah. it, our working memory is we can only handle so much information. Yeah. If we don't have the background knowledge to draw upon to help link to new information, we're going to really struggle. Yeah. So I'm going to come with to, to, another <laughs> to you with another question now. Okay, I might be back. Right, so if... if if I said to you what's eight times seven, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> eight times seven. How would you just fifty-six. Well done. Yeah. So yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. So what process did you go through to work that out? Um, I went to eight times eight and then eight. Okay, that's one way. So that yeah. Was, yeah. So now, if I said to you what's uh, sixty times seventy? Okay. What's the answer to that? No, okay, so how did you do that then? So I did 6 times 7, I nearly times it by 10, because I was like, there's a multiple of 10, but then I realised it's two zeros, so you multiply it by 100. Okay, so you had like so an extra like layer, yeah, didn't you, yeah. of, of, of thinking, so we, we challenged you a bit more. Of course, if I was then to say what's 54 times 46, no, we add in yeah. another layer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's really important that we understand what our learners know. Yeah so that they can handle this information in, our, in, in their working memory. You could handle that because you've got a back, yeah. bit of background. And that, I, I find that really interesting, actually, because I'd say one of the things that um, I've always felt, really, as someone looking in on teaching and learning, is we, don't, we can sometimes tokenistically look at what students know already. So we go prior learning, we do a starter activity, or we do an induction process. But I've always felt like not really digging under right into the depths of what they know mm-hmm. and I still have that feeling at times because I always and I people call me an idealist but it's just how I am and I think okay if we really really knew what they did and didn't know we teach the gaps absolutely and so when it comes to and I know people will say it's like it's not that easy but maths and English research I think if we absolutely nailed what they knew and how they got there, we'd fi- we could fill the gaps much more easily, much more quickly, and much more efficiently and less stressfully for both staff and students. Absolutely. And I think on that, we, we 
we do make a lot of assumptions as teachers mm -hmm. about what the learners know and, and don't know. Yeah. And for me, that sort of was a bit of a realisation back in the day mm -hmm. again, you know, when it, I was assuming that they'd already have a bit of knowledge. So I'd be sending them off with all these funky tes yeah. tasks like, you know, let's make a heart out of Play-Doh. Yeah, yeah. Go and make a heart. <laughs> And, and expect them to be able to do it and, and understand. But it, actually, just making the heart yeah. is quite, you know, it's just quite factual, isn't it? Yeah. And these are parts, of, how does it work? And yeah. it, I, I was missing that because there was a lot of assumptions that they already knew some yeah. of this stuff. And so for me, when we think about engaging learners, I think it goes right back to that. What do they know? Yeah. And, and like you say, can we bridge the gap? And of course, we're dealing with, we have to, put it into perspective, we're, we're often dealing with novices yeah. in our classrooms. And um, I know it's very, diff def very difficult and very murky when we say what's a novice, what's an expert, what's an in-betweeny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we, we need to remember that the vast majority of our learners are coming to us with not much background knowledge in the subject yeah. that they're studying yeah. quite often. Um, and so they're going to require a bit more guidance from yeah. us helping them to link concepts to one another. Mm. Um, if we, and uh, as I said, back in the day, I used yeah. to do it a lot myself, you know, the minimal guidance, trying to, uh, what was it, what was this saying back in the day, you know, teach without talking. Oh, yeah. and, and there was a big sort of push for that. And that's not saying that you can't do that in places, yeah. but for novices, they need a lot more guidance. And I'm not saying that the teacher needs to stand at the front just waffling on and talking. Yeah. To, they need to help them connect this new knowledge. Yeah, and there's, there's something for me that keeps popping up that I quite like as well, which is that modelling thinking. Mm -hmm. And I think, as I said before, I really love to think. I do it by an accident as well as on purpose. But um, a couple of things that I've really picked up on is one you were talking, you mentioned about how sometimes we were okay thinking quite hard about things, and if we can see successes, but in a in a in where we're struggling a little mm. bit, actually we can disengage. And I can I can think about that on lots of different levels. So either students struggling, and then you get disengagement, and I can't do it, and it affects mindset. Or from a teacher perspective, or from a personal leadership perspective, especially. As I talk about current situations, you know, some leadership challenges are are complex mm -hmm. and are lots of things really hard about them. And then you've got to think about how you fit into that, how other people fit into that, and then how we've got this bigger picture of developing teacher and learners. When you're not getting the successes or the momentum that you kind of would hope for or can give you some quick reward. You start to question yourself, or you question, am I doing the right thing, or oh, is there another answer? Or, and the, that's, for me, the disengagement that can start to happen. Mm. But yeah, if you if you think about that from a teaching perspective, you can get real disengagement if, if students find it hard. And that really, I think students come to us at college, don't they, with, with quite a lot of experience in school, where they might have really been pushed and challenged in a way that's not been supportive or scaffolded. And, I, and yeah. people who know me do know that I am not a, let's hold someone's hand and guide them through. It's, it's coaching, it's challenge, it's positive leadership in the classroom that kind of really pushes students to be the best that they can be. But I think there's something in there as well about um, modeling thinking sure that I really think is powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And we've just got to keep in mind that 
as daft as it sounds, it's quite it's quite counterintuitive, really. Isn't yeah. it? The brain doesn't like to think; it likes to cut corners, yeah, and you can see that efficiency, isn't yeah. it? Like uh, evolutionary efficiency. Yeah. And we have we've got all of our biases and things that come into that, but yeah, we've got to try and mitigate against these mm. these issues mm. with thinking. But in order to do that, we really need to know what the students know. Yeah. And I try to always think about, um, I've just got my eye on time, but yeah. I, I try to always on the podcast talk about practical application of okay. all the things that yep. I'm debating. So what types of things do you think people could do? Or what types of things do you think are practical applications that people could take away? And either from a teacher point of view, from a teacher developing point of okay. I'm probably going to get some boos and hisses at this point <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the new common uh, education inspection yeah, framework yeah. nearly said it wrong oh, gosh um, and I love this the thinking around sequencing your curriculum thinking about the knowledge and skills that learners need at various stages and how we're building that so it's mm-hmm. building blocks rather than just a sort of you know block on health and safety then we'll do a block on something else then we'll do a block on you know something else and it's just nothing links very well and I think we need to think about coherence in learning because um, you know experts have well structured schema novices don't we need to help them build that so I think it comes down to planning I think there's a all all teachers and, and those that are supporting teachers need to be able to articulate how their plan is sequenced over a period of time, whether that be a term or a year or whatever, or two years. In yeah. um, what is how are the building blocks being developed and mm-hmm. and, and the, those foundations established so that further building can happen? But in addition to that, it's really difficult because you can plan all you like, but then when you get in a class, we all know that what what confronts us is often uh, completely different to what we thought about. So we need really robust initial assessment mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, that is initial assessment at the start of the programme but in every session as well mm. and we need to be using our formative assessment mm. as best as possible to, to guide us and and so in terms of teacher development um, you know formative assessment is a biggie but as you mentioned yourself initial assessment are we just doing it to say yes we've done some initial assessment yeah. we tick a box yeah. or are we actually thinking what do these know because quite often, I mean, there's some research that suggests that about 40 to 50 percent of what is taught in the class, mm-hmm. the students already know in some capacity. But it's all very different, yeah. 40 and 50 percent. So yeah. we've got to try and find that common, the common gaps, yeah. and address those and try and link it to what they already know. Mm-hmm. And in my session today, we're talking a lot about um, some strategies that we can um, use to support that acquisition of knowledge and skills. So hopefully that sort of answers your question. Yeah, no, I think that's really cool. Like, I think it is. It's we've been having discussions recently around um, not heavily, just a few bits of discussions that people, uh, you know, who are reflecting on how do we enhance learning? Because that's a very current question. And and like <coughs> you said, we we anticipate a few boos and hisses if we say actually quite like the NCIS, but. I'm also of the same opinion in that um, it feels definitely less, um, I don't know what the right word is actually, it feels more like it promotes this consistent and evidence-based approach and whether 
people interpret it and get it right or wrong or not even on the matter but at the same time it aligns with my bigger vision around education which is let's just because actually I always say to everyone let's just forget about Oscar and what he's yeah. saying yeah. <coughs> because actually let's think about what we're trying to do for the right reasons and that is help students to learn help students to be their best selves and prepare them for whatever they go on mm. to next and actually um, let's inspire them while we're at it and you know as well as I do if you're really into something or you're really interested in it you want to learn about it and then you're motivated and you can see you make your own route then rather than being in the classroom just because you think you have to or you've not got any other choice and you're not motivated and actually you don't want to learn but there's that bit where like there's a if if they know 40 50 percent but it's a lot of different things all the conversations i've been having recently are around okay can we figure those out and then what we do in a classroom can we help to like bridge the gaps but then how do we really motivate students to think for themselves and utilize time really effectively mm -hmm. where they help to bridge their own gaps yeah. because i think there's something really powerful in that that is also made more complex if they have to feel supported yeah and they need that agency because it is the you can do everything in your power as a teacher to, to support that learning but if they're not doing it themselves yeah. it's not going to happen so I, I quite agree um we need to be gradually removing the scaffold so they're becoming more independent understanding their own gaps in knowledge yeah. and, and addressing those and i think as teachers we we we've got to be careful as well and it, a point sort of just cropped up and reminded me that this distinction between learning and performance because we can do all the assessment in the world in the classroom but all we're seeing is performance mm -hmm. and we have to infer learning from that yeah. there's a paper back in i think it was 2011 it was written maybe a little earlier by Soderstrom and Bjork okay and it's it's learning versus performance oh, okay. and uh, so basically the 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 concept is that we um we can't see learning we have to infer it so <laughs> it makes me laugh when you, you know when observers go in and go yeah those learners were definitely <laughs> learning <laughs> no we, we we can make some inferences about that but they're performing so there's a there's a difference yeah. so if i said to you steph what's the uh, capital of ghana I, i'm hoping i've got this right myself <laughs> so um it's Accra. okay okay and then so i've taught you now yeah. and then i say steph what's the capital of ghana Okay, yay, you've learned. <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't make that assumption. I've got to come back next week. I've got to see if you yeah. remember that. I've got to come back six okay. weeks later, see if, you, see if you, yeah. you remember that. And also, I've got to see how you're then applying that yeah, yeah. to other situations and context. So um, it's really, it's, it's an interesting one. That, so when we are assessing in the classroom, yeah. we're just garnering information on their, their performance yeah. more than anything. And, and the paper I, I referred to, they say that actually you can perform without learning and you can learn without performing yeah. and so it is real, it really important therefore that we get the learners thinking about what they know yeah. because they're the best judges of what they're learning quite often so yeah no. I think we just need to be mindful of that yeah, and what's the capital yeah. of Ghana? Accra. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good note to end isn't it? It is yeah thank you so much. It's all right. um, really interesting I think I always say that Teacher development and um, student engagement. So, but well, thank you so much.
That's all right. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Teaching Excellence podcast. Leave us a voice message in Anchor. Tweet us and let us know what you think or what you want to hear on the show. Tune in next week for more. Have an amazing week and be the best version of you.